Today on Ag News Daily. I've always been around my family, whether it be my grandma, grandpa, my uncles, um, my mom and dad. We always come together anyway, so um, creating that with the next generation is something really special to us. Good afternoon and welcome to a Wednesday episode of the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Dawson Schmidt today. It's just uh, the two youngsters taking over. Hello, Ashton. I I guess it is. Uh, One of these days, I might actually finally be on the podcast with Delaney, but until then, uh, I guess we're just going to have to wait. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm moving here at the end of May. So I think you guys are going to have to take over one of these days while I am not here. I think Delaney might uh, be a little bit offended that I just referred to you and I as the youngsters. I mean, she's still pretty young herself, but uh, the two students, I guess. There we go. Yeah, there you go. Well, Dawson, uh, what's it like over in your neck of the woods today? We had a little bit of rain down here in Lubbock when I woke up this morning. You know, it's kind of been on and off. Uh, we've been getting some scattered showers here and there. It was kind of a, or it was a pretty gloomy day yesterday, but today, uh, right now, the sun actually is trying to poke out a little bit. So it'd be nice if that actually stays. Yeah, I am hearing that you guys are really just getting beat with a lot of rain right now. I was telling Delaney yesterday that we don't seem like we can just get a perfect in-between. No, it it just seems like everywhere that needs rain is not getting it, where everywhere that doesn't need rain just kind of keeps getting it. Yeah, it's funny how Mother Nature works that way. Oh, for sure. Well, Dawson, do you have a bit of news to share with us today? Yeah, I got something that's not really, you know, directly agricultural related, but just something poking around on the news wires is that the the 94th National FFA Convention in Expo will actually be held in person this year. That's compared to it being a complete virtual event last year uh, where students were, you know, not able to go down to uh, Indianapolis and just kind of had to sit, sit and do activities in their classrooms or at home, depending on what their preference was. And so uh, they actually announced that they will be in person back in Indianapolis. Uh, and they are planning on keeping some things virtual for those that cannot go or don't feel comfortable going. Um, but it, It's just another thing that kind of seems like we're kind of getting back to normal. Um, And I know a lot of students last year really missed out on those events. I kind of interviewed some for my own chapter and then from a different chapter as well that, you know, they're really missing out on that in-person interaction, especially with the state office or the state and national officers. Uh, But yeah, it just seems like, you know, things are going to be going, going back once again. And I'm kind of excited for that. I know. I'm really excited for that as well. I'm ready to get back to normal. But Dawson, did you ever get a chance to go to national convention? I went one year. Uh, You know, I did some fundraising, kind of, sort of, not really to actually, you know, pay to go. But I did experience it once and it was a really fun time. Uh, But I did have friends that, you know, went every year that they could. And so it's just kind of a personal preference on what people like. But how about you, Ashton? I did. Texas, I can't remember how many voting delegates we get, but we get a ton. I think we're like the biggest uh, state representation in, you know, the nation. I'm not exactly sure. Don't don't fact check me on (laughs) that. Um, But all the when I was an area officer, my senior year of high school, I got to go because we got to serve as voting delegates. So that was a pretty, pretty cool experience. So we got to sit on the delegate floor and all that good stuff during the 
the meetings and all of that fun stuff. So it was a ton of fun, I got to say. So, you know, if there's any FFA members listening out there that might have the opportunity, I definitely encourage y'all to do so. For sure. Well, Dawson, I have a little bit of a follow-up um, to a story that I shared earlier in the week talking about the meeting of the trade ministers from the United States, Canada, and Mexico to discuss the USMCA. And yesterday, they held this quote-unquote robust talk on the new North American trade deal and pledged to fully enforce its higher standards while downplaying differences over a range of other irritants. The ministers, in a joint statement issued after their first meeting to review the USMCA on trade that took effect in July of 2020, also vowed to focus on fighting climate change and crack down on imports of goods to the region made with forced labor. The ministers were quoted as saying the USMCA commits us to a robust and inclusive North American economy that serves as a mold globally for competitiveness while prioritizing the interests of workers in underserved communities. The statement came after U.S. Trade Representative Tai met virtually with her Canadian and Mexican counterparts in this initial meeting of the governing body for the USMCA, which of course regulates some $1.5 trillion in annual North American trade. Their statement described discussions on new labor and environmental obligations as robust. Like I said earlier, Tai had earlier urged her counterparts to pursue strong implementation of the USMCA to ensure that I would maintain a political support. And of course, there was a push to relieve that 9% lumber tariff. And the Canadian trade minister told reporters that she raised Canada's concerns about unwarranted and unfair U.S. lumber tariffs and vowed to defend the sector's interests. On Monday, she brought up U.S. quote-unquote buy American restrictions on infrastructure and public procurement projects. Mexico raised differences between the U.S. interpretation of the U.S. MCA's automotive content rules and more flexible Mexican and Canadian interpretations, according to Mexican Deputy Economy Minister, adding that the countries would continue to to discuss the matter. So it does look like, you know, I the the story that I reported on was talking about how there was a push for Thai to bring up that 9% tariff and hopefully kind of relief that for the lumber industry. So it does sound like there was some effective talks in that uh, discussion, but again, just kind of looking out to the future and you know what this trade agreement is really going to look like under the Biden administration. Don't have you know super in depth or you know concrete answers to that, but just going to have to be something that we continue to watch there, Dawson. I agree. You know that could be the reason why the markets have been you know up and down with the lumber today. They they were first down and then they touched limit up, came back off and then they touched limit up again. So I. I'm wondering if that's kind of what's been going on with the lumber on, you know, if we're starting to see less restrictions on maybe getting more or kind of what's going on there. Yeah, I haven't paid attention to lumber today. Um, I did see a TikTok earlier, though, talking about what's going on in the lumber markets. And there was a truck driver saying, you know, that he's seen, you know, just market control. And then we're seeing, you know, this hopefully this uh, tariff relief, but I feel like there's just so much going on that we don't really know the answers to right now. 
Um, but hopefully we do get some answers here quickly. I, I just, I don't know. I think it's a little bit um, confusing on what's going on in the lumber markets right now. Cause I just feel like that's a little bit of a, uh, a strange market for all of this to be going on. Well, to kind of keep on the topic of trade, China purchased another 1.36 million tons this morning. Uh, and that's, you know, they're up to, I think almost four and a half million tons for just this week alone. And uh, which that equals about, I think, 174 million bushels. And so it's really curious to see how that's going to keep playing along. Uh, you know, I think for the whole marketing year that hasn't even started yet, that China is almost at 10 million bushels, or sorry, 10 million tons right now. Uh, and that kind of brings me back to yours and Delaney's uh, discussion with Ted Seifred, or Seifred, excuse me. Uh, on Monday, kind of talking about, you know, how much China might actually buy. Um, and they're really at a fast pace right now these past few weeks. And so it's really interesting on, you know, if we're going to see a lull before they start picking up again, or if they're just going to kind of keep, you know, hammering out these these sales and purchases. Well, Dawson, I'm glad that you are staying on top of the numbers there because honestly, I really haven't been when it comes to Chinese purchases just because it doesn't come as too much of a surprise to me anymore just because Delaney's been talking a ton about how much China's purchasing and all of that good stuff. And I mean, people on Twitter have been talking about it. So I honestly just haven't really been staying on top of it. Um, I probably should since this is really my job. But uh, anyways, talking about some other international news here. An ag economist says that recent trade data suggests that Argentina could be behind major swings higher in the organic soybean market. Ryan Corey with Mercaris tells Brownfield Ag News that following the January announcement, the U.S. is ending an organic equivalency agreement with India, the largest supplier of, of organic soybean imports. He's been closely monitoring if there's a connection to the current tightness in the market. And he was quoted as saying, we don't see a rejection in either imports or an increase in price from that country, which indicates that the current tightness within the U.S. market and price increases in the U.S. market aren't really related to supplies coming from that country. Corey says it appears the supply challenges are coming from whole organic soybeans with imports down nearly 25% for the marketing year, which he says is significant for domestic crush needs. He said that if we look at where that tightness is coming from, it clearly seems to be Argentina. Imports through April are down nearly 70% from Argentina, but Corey says the cause is still unknown. But if it's a shipping logistical issue, their arrival in the market will likely drive prices for the remainder of the year. Well, I'm glad you actually brought up Argentina because I have a follow-up on Delaney's story yesterday with uh the government actually banning beef exports from uh, or for a 30 day period. And I, I can't remember if she if she had said why. But just to recap, that was kind of a lot with um, beef prices have been rising so much in Argentina and just the president of the country was getting really worried. And so uh, they thought it was in their best interest to actually ban exports. Now, that actually got a lot of backlash from farmers and we may actually see you know, some protests go on in Argentina trying to get that lifted. And another story actually came through today that um, they could actually 
maybe lift the ban sooner than the 30 days. It all comes down to if they can make or if the government can make a deal with producers to actually set a specific price limit. Um, now they're trying to see when that deal could be reached, but it it just sounds like you know the government is going to try to just get what it wants. So if the producers don't agree with them, then the ban might stay. And so it, it's just kind of curious, or I'm really curious to see how that's going to progress on, you know, uh, if livestock producers in the U.S. are actually going to have that advantage to get into that market that they have or that Argentina has in China. So um, it'll be it'll be really interesting to see that um, cattle prices today. They were kind of floating positive today. It, it was a little mixed. I know you're going to talk about that probably a little bit when you get in the markets, but uh, just people are really unsure on what exactly is going on there as well. Yeah, there has been quite a bit going on in the cattle markets. Hopefully, we will look into that a little bit further in the you know next week or two as we are trying to get an interview set up there. But Dawson, I am all out of news for today. What about you? I think that does it for me as well. Well, Dawson, diving right into the markets here, just getting right into corn, the July contract up a quarter of a cent to close at 658 and a half. The December down four and a quarter to close at 539. In soybeans, the July contract down 34 and a half cents to close at 1539 and three quarters. The November down again there at 29 and a quarter to close at 1370 and a quarter. In wheat, the July contract red down 18 cents to close at 680 flats. The December down 17 cents to close at 685 and a half. Cotton today here in the July contract down a dollar oh seven to close at 82.94. The October up 21 cents to close at 84.07. Heading over into the livestock markets. Green across the screen in live cattle, starting out here in the June contract to close at 116 and nine cents. The October up a cent to close at 124 and six and a quarter cents. Feeder cattle, the May contract down six and a quarter cents to close at 136.5 and a quarter. The September up seven and a half cents to close at 154, two and three quarters in lean hogs. Here in the June contract, up three cents to close at 110.9 and a half. The August down two and a half cents to close at 107 and five cents. Closing out our markets here with the class three dairy milk futures. The May contract up three cents to close at 18.91. The July down three cents to close at 18.09. And with that, I am going to head over to our conversation, Dawson, with Josh Butler, a farmer from Canada. Today on the podcast, we are talking to Josh Butler, who is a farmer, and he also is part of J&E Meats out there in Canada. Josh, thanks for coming on today. You're going to have to tell the folks where exactly you're at in Canada, because I can't quite put my finger on it. I'm not too good at geography. <laughs> uh, so my name is Josh Butler. Uh, we farm about an hour east of Detroit in southwestern Ontario. We're not far from the border, so it's uh, we're down in kind of the southern part. We're roughly even with northern or southern Iowa, northern Illinois type deal. So, 
Gotcha. Well, Josh, you are joining us from the cab today. So folks might have to kind of endure that little bit of white noise from the tractor there, but you are doing some planting right now. So what has that been like this year for you? Uh, so it's kind of been a slow go. The uh, the lighter ground, it came fit back in end of, uh, I guess, end of April, 1st of May, we got in, got some done. Uh, our heavy clay soils, which is probably 70% of the ground we farm is heavy soil. Uh, it's been taking a while to come fit. So we finally got in there this week and it's been going pretty good. So we should finish corn up today and we'll get at the beans tomorrow. So hopefully by first next week, we can have everything in. Well, Josh, it sounds like things are going great for you. So that is awesome. Kind of switching over to uh, livestock, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic, we saw a lot of, uh, you know, woes going on with the livestock industry, especially in the U.S. Uh, we had, you know, prices drop drastically uh, and then kind of producers have been struggling to kind of get their margins back up there. Um, kind of with COVID-19, how did that kind of impact the livestock industry where you're at? Uh, roughly the same with the cattle anyways. The, the lamb market, it's kind of really skyrocketed up and up here. So it's been doing very well, but the beef is pretty well the same as, as down in the States. Uh, most of the problem when COVID-19 kind of hit was basically capacity. If, if something got shut down, that really affected how we could sell the cattle. Um, we did see the price kind of drop off a bit, I guess. So luckily with, uh, with our own market, we've been able to kind of compensate for that a bit. So um, that's been a good thing. But definitely COVID-19 definitely hurt the livestock industry on a large scale basis. So Josh, I want to talk a little bit more about COVID-19 and really how that affected consumer purchasing in Canada, because of course you're part of J&E Meats, you're the, the J there, I assume. But uh, when yeah. we're talking about J&E Meats, can you just kind of walk us through what exactly it is that you guys are doing and then kind of get into a little bit more about, you know, how the company or how the business was affected because of consumer purchases in the pandemic? So we started, we started J&E Meats before COVID came. Uh, it was, like I said, it was just my wife and I's idea to really kind of create a, another business and really kind of get a strong market for our own products. Um, when COVID-19 hit, it was probably real beneficial to us. Um, when the shelves started kind of running empty on the grocery stores, everybody was looking for somewhere to get their meat from. It was almost like a panic buying. Um, when they did do that, we really gained a lot of customers, um, mostly just because of the quality of the products that we're, they're raising. So after COVID-19, we our struggle was trying to keep enough stock in our store. Um, the, the local abattoirs here, they're really kind of overrun. So it is hard to get in. Um, that is one of the biggest kind of concerns we have still today, but we kind of really helped ourselves and booked ahead as much as we can, trying to anticipate the market growth in us. So definitely COVID-19 really helped us. It's, I, I don't wish we had to deal with it, but it's definitely been a benefit for us. Kind of bounced off of that, you know, in the U.S., we had a lot of people, you know, kind of back local 
producers and you know pushing that for that buying local buying directly from farmers we even had multiple groups on facebook trying to get uh you know consumers to buy local and there's just a large push for that was there something kind of similar that happened in your area as far as that as well um definitely for sure um the local really started pushing once the once that covid hit um, I think people really kind of understood that food just doesn't show up on the shelves overnight. So, you know, between social media, that that's been our best tool, I guess. So we've really pushed pushed that. My wife is a marketer by by trade, so she really knows how to do it. So, yeah, the social media thing has been. Um, people have really heard it. Have really have really kind of boosted our posts up that much more. So, you know. It's definitely been a benefit for us. So, Josh, I've got to ask, I, I assume it's your wife that is behind the Meat Mistress blog that's on the J&E Meats website. So my wife's Emma, she she takes care of the running the, uh, the business logistics, I guess I'd say. Uh, she does all the marketing. She picks up the beef. She's, uh, she's definitely the meat mistress for sure. Well, Josh, I mean, it seems like your your family's pretty involved there because the Global Ag Network, we shared one of your photos earlier this month of you in the field with, uh, I guess, one of your young ones talking about farming. So what is it like from a family standpoint, really being um, super involved and, you know, all that good stuff? Because when we're talking about farming, I feel like a lot of times it is family oriented and a lot of families kind of do that together. So what is that experience like for you? Oh, uh, it's great. Like we, I really love it. And especially with today's day and age with the technology and the equipment we have, we can really take them along with us and do a lot of stuff with them. So it's great to include them. They really love it. Like the picture we you shared there, that was uh, my middle son, Lane. He's just two years old and there's nothing better than he loves than the go in the tractor and just anything we do outside. He's, he's always willing to be involved in it. So He's young now, and you know who knows if he'll come back to farm. But at least if we kind of keep him involved now, hopefully someday they will. So we have two other kids. We have a daughter and another son as well. Um, so and they're just as equally kind of involved too. So it's 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 great. It's been something that's been in my entire life. I know growing up, I've always been around my family, whether it be my grandma, grandpa, my uncles. Um, my mom and dad, we always come together anyway. So um, creating that with the next generation is something really special to us. Well, Josh, if our listeners want to learn a little bit more about J&E Meats or maybe even purchase some of your products, where can they go to do so? So we have an online store for sure. You can shop anytime online. Uh, as of right now, we don't offer shipping. We kind of do local delivery. But if you want to just kind of see what our website's like or just see the products we have, you can definitely go on our online store. We are on Facebook and Instagram as well as J&E Meats. So you can always see what's going on there. So we really try to boost, try to push the education too to the consumers so they kind of know where their food comes from and what is kind of put in to do it. So if you want to follow along with us just on that aspect of the operation, you definitely can do so on the social media and the website. 
Awesome. Well, Josh, we have some Canadian listeners, so maybe there's some in your neck of the woods there that'll give you guys a, uh, a look through. But Josh, thank you again so much for coming on and good luck finishing out planting. So thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a great experience and uh, looking forward to, to what the future brings for us. So. Well, thanks again there to Josh for coming on and talking to us today. Hopefully planting keeps going well for him because I honestly don't know exactly. I think we have some pretty mixed reviews here in the U.S. on how planting is going for a lot of folks. I think so, too. You know, there are reports that people are already done planting. Uh, there are some that's that are behind. Uh, yeah, it's just really down to, you know, where you're at as well. Absolutely, Dawson. But folks, if you want to continue to see, you know, what is going on in terms of planting for the remainder of planting season, you can do so along with us on the Ag News Daily podcast at agnewsdaily.com. You can follow along with some of the farmer stories that we share on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Ag News Daily. With that, Dawson, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.